Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community and communities create social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Madeline Sims-Fewer and Dusty Mancinelli, and they are the writers, directors, producer, and Madeline's the star of, of a new film, Violation, that's ha- having its U.S. premiere at Sundance. And I was fortunate enough to have interviewed them back at the Toronto International Film Festival for, for this film. And not something typically that I would uh, be drawn to, but, but uh, when the publicist reached out to me, uh, I was pulled in when I when I read a little bit about Madeline and Dusty and saw some of their earlier work. It it all of a sudden took on a new meaning, and I realized that there was way more going on here than meets the eye. And this is a film that that some of you out there are going to absolutely need to see. It's powerful. It's fascinating. It's unique. It it turns the this uh, particular genre on its head. I mean, some people are calling it a horror film. I'm not sure I would, uh, but definitely a film that is going to um, open your eyes in some pretty unique and fascinating and in some respects terrifying ways it's it's as they as they will tell you in, in the interview and i so loved having my conversation with them on face to face here but this is a very personal film and and uh, this is it's kind of a uh, i guess you could say it's a, a study in morality it's uh this is this is about uh, a woman who is attempting to restore her humanity in a very particular kind of way. The way they use uh, sound in the film is utterly genius. It is it is a beautiful film uh, uh, to look at, and it's a world that we wouldn't normally um, step into. Uh, I sure hope, but but because of such a um, engaging and 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 I'm going to say beautiful way they've told this story. It, it brings up questions about dysfunction and about family, and it's like I said, it turns horror on its head. It's about it's about the way the past is informing how we see each other. This is about being trapped. It's about being frozen. It's about um, catharsis is, is taking on a, a different role here in this film in violation. And, and you're going to need to watch it and, and see why this is about working through our own past really. And, and how do we exercise uh, our own uh, demons and perhaps time does not heal all wounds. Well, I, I hope I've captured enough of your attention. And if you're 
thinking about seeing this film at Sundance and it appeals to you on any level, buy the ticket, step in. And uh, it, as far as I know, it now has a distribution, executive producers, David Hamilton and Deepa Mehta from Canada. Uh, it, it, there's a lot going on here. And and uh, so so step in, buy the ticket, uh, listen to the podcast, listen to the interview coming up and and look for this film uh, in in the future. It's uh, it's called Violation and it is the U.S. US premiere at uh, Sundance Battle and Sims Fuhrer and Dusty Mancinelli. And I felt thrilled and honored to, to be able to talk to them about such a personal, intimate story that they so um, clearly felt needed to be uh, told in a very unique and compelling way. Don't forget davidpecklive.com, face-to-facelive.ca for more information about my podcasting and speaking and writing. And, and if you made it here through iTunes to, to this interview, please leave us a review. We would so appreciate that. We need it. Uh, if you made it to, uh, to through uh, to us through YouTube, please uh, th- give us a thumbs up and subscribe. It's really quite simple, and le- leaving a review is pretty simple too. And and if I could even go further, share about uh, share about this on social media. Send it out to your family and friends. Sign up for the newsletter. We only send out about six of those a, a year. And uh, there you have it. It's it's face to face. It's another fascinating, interesting interview that that I had a blast doing. I look forward to talking with um, uh, uh, Dusty and, and and Madeline again in the not so distant future. But coming right up, uh, an important conversation with uh, two Canadian filmmakers, Madeline Simsfuer, Dusty Mancinelli, about their new film, Violation. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by two very special guests uh, here with us today to talk about a, a world premiere of a new film called Violation at the Toronto International Film Festival. We have Madeleine Simsure and Dusty Mancinelli to talk about this, can I say disturbing but important new film? Uh, anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for thank having you. us. So so let's go there. I'm uh, I'm I'm right out of the gate. I'm going to and you know what we haven't talked about yet is what about what about spoilers? So I'm going to leave that to you guys. Cut me off if uh, if you think I'm going too deep into something that's, you know, part of the story, but um I th- this this type of film wouldn't normally probably pull me in. But as I started to read more about the 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 the, some of the themes in the film, you know, I, I'm, I've, I've started to think about trauma and PTSD and I hadn't even seen an image, from, well, other than the, your face, Madeline, in the, in the poster, I suppose, in the promo. And I already started to say to myself, you know what, I, I bet you there's going to be way more going on here than meets the eye. I would imagine these types of films get sort of, you know, boxed in sometimes in, in, in a way, if that makes sense. But, but I'd love to hear from you guys about that. You've had a physical screening, you've had an online screening. What's the response been like? Yeah, it's interesting what you said about it um, being presented as a horror film, but also not necessarily a horror film. I think um, it definitely, there are horrific parts of it and it is an exploration of this one woman's trauma Um but it's, I mean, at it's hot. It's a film about sisters um, and it's a film mm. that does explore PTSD and trauma um, and just kind of the responses within families to, to people's trauma. Yeah, and I, I really think the best thing about uh, genre films is they can act as a vehicle to amplify, um, you know, personal stories and uh, to explore meaningful relationships. And I, that's really what struck us uh, about that genre. And, and what we wanted to do is really try to um, shine a light on this relationship between these two sisters and, and really dramatize uh, how 
uh, extreme things can actually get. And we're sort of, I guess, we we really have put ourselves out there with this film. We uh, we knew mm. that there were going to be provocative thing elements in it, um, and we knew that like there's full frontal male nudity. We knew that wasn't going to be palatable for everyone. Um, we knew that it was going to be a film that would rattle some cages, right. um, and and you know we we kind of made peace with that um, because we felt like it was important to explore it's a very personal film to us and i think we really mm. felt like with our first feature we wanted to say something that we really know something about and we have an opinion on um and even if if they're not everyone um sees it in the same way we do if there are people who take something away from it um if they feel heard and validated and they feel like um we've understood them then we've kind of achieved what we want to achieve and, and there have been some wonderful really lovely responses to it well, I mean, do, do you know what madeline is so interesting i i was kind of thinking about how, how i was i always reflect a little bit on how i would step into interviews and this is you know this is a difficult film on some levels and yet stunning and cinematic and, and beautiful i mean it's a family film which is so i love what you guys have done and you know it's about two sisters it's about family it's about history and how you've just sort of turned that in the genre i guess i'm not an expert as i've already mentioned on its head and i i just so love that about about storytelling and, and about filmmaking but one of the things i was thinking of saying to you madeline was i wanted to ask you and this is this is a testament i think to the writing and the directing and everything i i wanted to ask you are you okay you know <laughs> do, do you know what i mean like i was i was so in from the get-go and and i just want to reach in and give you a hug and say is every everything's going to be fine you know that's great. I mean, I think that that it's it's kind of fantastic that that you asked me that question. And yes, I am. Um, <laughs> and I, in a way, this film for me, like the acting in it as well, it was a very um, kind of purging experience for some. Mm. Uh, I think when people explore personal stuff in their films, that has the most powerful impact, hopefully. And it was definitely definitely very personal. The both of us but it did mean i think because we were coming at it from that angle that we had to kind of live in this world yeah. for a pretty extended period right. of time in our lives uh and so we're we're quite happy that it's to come out the other end yeah that alive we're, and... we're out of the tunnel and it's we see the light of day again because it is um you know in order to ca capture that that trauma and that kind of ominous unsettling tension uh, it really does require you, I think, as a writer to live in that space and as a director and uh, in post to kind of immerse yourself in that world. And there's a really, there's like a strong, um, great history of revenge films that deal with, with similar ideas um, mm. that we love and are inspired by. And, and I think just to speak to what you said about us um, kind of flipping tropes on their head, when we decided to sort of enter that, that, uh, milieu of of revenge films we we weren't interested in in um just saying the same or perpetuate perpetuating the same ideas in the conversation we really only were interested in joining that conversation if we had something new to say yeah and, and that space is really filled with sort of this idea of wish fulfillment um they're they're designed around having an audience uh cheer and and be excited 
by the protagonist executing their 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 kind of act of revenge or whatever that retribution is and it's there's something kind of like cathartic for the audience in those moments um and for us we were more interested in trying to capture the the kind of realism of what would it really be like what like what's the emotional psychological Mm. on um you know actually getting revenge and what does it do to uh, your morality, your character, and your relationships. Yeah, exactly. And and it's kind of in in a way the film's meant to kind of scare you <laughs> into right. not wanting to take revenge because you're like, okay, it's definitely not worth it. <laughs> well, it's interesting. By the way, I have to ask this: Do you both have bracelets on that say "What would David Cronenberg do"? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we are huge fans. Yeah. yeah, good. Well, I've always, you know, I'm a huge fan, and I've always felt that violence in in his films and others. That, that it should be the kind of thing where, and I'm thinking of a scene in History of Violence in particular, where, where you, 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 you turn away. Mm-hmm. Isn't, Dusty, to your point about scaring you, about this is what it would be really like. I mean, okay, maybe we all love the Dirty Harry films or, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Western fan. But, but really, the violence that we're, we're, it's not comic book if this was real world, right? And, and it seems to me that that's where you wanted to take this, this, uh, I guess you could almost call it the thematic of, of, I guess, uh, uh, you could almost call it a subplot in a way, I suppose. Yeah. I think realism is really integral to our visual aesthetic as well as Mm. performance style. And when it comes to the violence in the film, there's actually not too much violence and we don't show you the violence in the way that you normally see it in a horror film, which is, you know, lots of blood, lots of gore, lots of close-ups. Um, you, you actually experience it from afar. And it, and the thing I think that makes it more shocking or, or what feels more realistic and therefore more terrifying is the length in which we force you to watch these acts. Like you're right. uninterrupted takes. Um, and it's, you, you hopefully just feel like you're in that room in that space watching it uh, unfold. And because we're again, not, and it's in wide shots, you know, it's not, um, we're not pandering to the kind of like, glorification of violence that you often see i think in this genre and in many ways that makes it more terrifying there's actually a scene in eastern promises that was a, a influential to us as well with in the uh steam room with the yeah, i was just gonna say yeah, let me guess it's the steam room because it's so scrappy and sloppy mm. and, and it just feels real and we never wanted it to feel like that heightened kapow kapow like yeah. right right uh it needed to feel like this is what it really is like. Yeah, and so much so, I guess one minor spoiler, uh, without revealing too much, is that Madeline's character in the film uh, vomits at one integral moment. And it was really critical for us to try to restore her humanity in the moment that mm-hmm. losing it. Um, to show you that she's not this sort of Dexter-like character, right. but who's a real human being who's done an awful thing, and now she's paying the price for it. And uh, the level of realism was so important uh, to us that Madeline insisted on doing that uh, for real. Yeah, that was something. Wow. Something that when we wrote that scene in the script, I knew that I would really be doing it. Um, yeah. We had one take. We did. One uh, take. We well, that's good to hear. Yes, yes. We scheduled it right at the end of our shoot so that if it did really affect me uh, for a couple of days, I would have those days to to recover. But actually, it was we did that one take and it went great and it was all okay. 
do, do, do you, um, I'm a, I'm a huge Raiders of the Lost Ark fan. Do you, you remember Indy doesn't like snakes and yes, of course. the, the, the well of the souls is opened up and he looks at Sala and he says, snakes, why did it have to be snakes? Why did, why, why did it have to be, um, I'm going to say loons, ice cream, um, certain types of trees. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever be the same again. That's <laughs> basically what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah. I hope you can hear the smile. Yeah, no. Well, the loons, like hearing loon calls, first of all, they're, they're mating calls, which is what makes it so unique. Mm. Uh, they're, they're horrifying, you know. They're, they're, they're really <laughs> they're, quite uh, like soul shaking. Yeah, but they're also so distinct in sound. Yes, um, and and so that felt like such an appropriate um, natural element that could mm. uh, bring the audience into uh, Miriam's kind of internal turmoil. Um, and I think what was really important to us as well is to draw a parallel between the kind of raw power um, of nature, the kind of, right. you know, nature has no morality. There's a ruthlessness uh, to nature and humanity continues to a- attempt to, to operate outside of that. Um, and I think the film is is really kind of, you know, forcing us to ask deep questions about, about humans and, and whether or not we're really as, as uh, sophisticated or, or morally superior as we think and how easy it is for us to kind of return to this kind of primitive state. Madeline, it, Madeline, is it for Miriam is, is it, you know, nature, I'm thinking nature, I'm thinking about that, that existential dread, I suppose, even, and the way that music and sound is used in this film is just, just brilliant by the way. But is she cruel or is this is this coming from a sense of an overblown sense of justice? Or uh, you know, I, I I think I mean this is a serious film, right? This isn't just this isn't the Pale Rider, you know, and then Hell followed with him, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or this isn't the High Plains Drifter. This is this is a thoughtful uh, a woman, thoughtful piece. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't even know if that's a fair question. No, it's a great question. Um, and yeah, you know, I think it's both of those things, um, that you said, I think she's both cruel and she's, she's also got this overblown sense of justice. And what's really interesting, um, to me as a, as a filmmaker and as a young actor is I kind of grew up watching films like Taxi Driver and A Clockwork Orange and, um, and the uh, bad lieutenant and uh, these films with these great male anti-heroes who do, who are cruel and who, but who have this sense of, of uh, vigilante justice or this kind of um, the way they think the world should be. And they're, they're sort of characters who are deeply set apart from the world um, and uh, kind of alienated and isolated. And, I wasn't seeing any, I loved those characters. I loved watching them, but I wasn't ever seeing women represented in the same way with mm. you know, women who were just all out cruel or crazy or evil or women who were righteous. And I just, I've, I'm craving seeing characters, female characters who are both. How how have audiences reacted? So can you can you talk a little bit more? I mean, we sort of started going down that path a little bit, but I'd love to hear about uh, and must be, and again, congratulations. I mean, what, it must be pretty thrilling to have been in front of a live audience. Uh, it's been a few months, um, and and but yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to know. You've you've probably had quite a few interviews now and so on. How are people reacting? 
yeah, it's been really positive so far. Um, and at, at the premiere at TIFF, we screened at the Bell Light Box in Cinema 1 and Cinema 2. And we it was a, a theater of 50 people because of the COVID guidelines. Um, but we had some a real thoughtful discussion with the audience afterward. Um, and you know, you, you can see like some, some audience members were walked away in tears actually, and, and seemed to be deeply affected by the film in, in a way I think that helped us understand that it is resonating with people, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's, it's definitely polarizing. It's, it's not for everyone. And I think because we, we, we try to walk a real fine line where we, um, want to encourage conversation and we want to encourage you guys to explore these characters and what they do without us judging them so much. I think it ends up sometimes um, being misunderstood uh, by some, some, some. uh, I mean, it's interesting because there's kind of a flip side with um, two very polarizing responses. One is that people really understand Miriam and they connect to her and her emotional journey. And there's been a lot of kind of, um positive responses to uh how people have felt the emotion of the character but then there have also been people who who are just like she's psychotic and i didn't understand right. her journey at all and i i think that that's probably for the most part a, a, a gendered uh separation like it, hmm. it's just really we're not used to seeing female characters do those things and it's such a funny we were just having a conversation today about joker and how you know you've got this this sociopath who goes on a kind of rampage, and you have all these young men loving it because uh, it, it somehow you know they, they see themselves in this in this vigilante right. in this kind of antihero, um, but but you don't see that so often with, with female characters. So I think that's that's been kind of fascinating to us. I think also, and she's not a titillating character either. I think there are films like. I Spit on Your Grave and Miss 45, which are great films. I love those films, but you've got this highly sexy woman running around in a, in sexy clothes seeking her revenge. And it's a very, I think there's, uh, men can get behind that. Um, but we, but, but when you invert it, which is what we've done, uh, and you, you confront the audience with a lot of full frontal male nudity, uh, it leaves some audience members really uncomfortable because they they don't want to see that they didn't come to see male nudity. So it, it really kind of so, D- Dusty. Speaking of inverting it, when I saw the winch, I was a little concerned where we were heading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, um, you know that's so, actually a real winch in Madeline. It was I, a pound <laughs> winch in Madeline. How come I believe you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What I want to know is what did you guys leave out? That's what I want to know. You know. Um, so much. So much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Um, so there, there's some really deeply philosophical issues. And, you know, there's a scene where uh, um, Madeline, and maybe you need to speak more about this, but the intentionality of Miriam's character. Oh, by the way, I just got to toss this one out. Miriam Caleb, was that some sort of biblical illusion there? or? Oh, maybe subconsciously. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no. Was a... Uh, just Old Testament violence. I just that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I, I grew up uh, Christian. Uh, I, I'm I'm agnostic now, but maybe that kind of trickled through. It's just interesting, yeah. And it hit me near the end of the film, and and boy, you can't you you want some good old violence? Just you know, head to Leviticus. Yeah, you know, we should, we should start saying that that was absolutely intended. But I think that was like a the the Minotaur reference in the the Shining that people right <laughs> insist was was. Kubrick's intention, but 
really good. Well, there's authorial intention, right? And I've, I've always found that pretty fascinating because you, you, you so indwell, you guys already talked about stepping outside of this film, but you must have really indwelt the, the characters, the roles, the, the, the existential dread, you know, of it all. And, um, um, but Madeline, the, the Miriam's, um, intentionality, Mm -hmm. is really fascinating to me. And so, you know, oh, she's psychotic. She's a mad woman. But I really don't think so. And I, it's f like the decisions, you know, that, that she would have had to have made to, to, to get to where she gets to. You know, I'm thinking of the cooler, for instance, mm -hmm. which is frightening on so many levels to me. But, but, and yet I don't think she's out of her mind. And I think that Hitler Christ reference, the Lenin reference, is an interesting one because when we think about it, oh, mad, madman, right? Responsible for so. But but hang on a minute here. You can't just brush this kind of stuff under the carpet. It's not that easy. Way more complicated, I think, and way more contextualized. And I love the fact that we're talking about this stuff uh, in connection to your film. I yeah. love that. Um, yeah, absolutely. She's, to us, she's not um insane she's reeling and very deeply from something from a traumatic event that has where the trauma has been compounded um, mm. by her sister's reaction so it's not just what what's happened to her which is horrific in itself and to be violated by someone who you love and who's close to you is is arguably just one of the worst things that can happen um and shakes your sense of self so deeply um and the way that you see the world and your trust in, in yourself and in everything around you. But she then uh, reaches out to her sister and is completely um, shunned and misbelieved. And, and that I think just really twists her. Right. Um, and something that was this, I mean, this film's really personal and, Dusty and I had conversations in early on in our friendship about um, things that had had happened in our own past, and and the conversation came around to revenge because you inevitably start thinking about uh, not necessarily the the lengths of revenge that Miriam goes to, but it, it's satisfying to think about getting your revenge on someone um, who's hurt you so deeply, and I think Miriam just takes that to another level where it's she is so she has nowhere to turn and it's the only thing that she can think of to release mm. herself and to release her sister from what she who she feels is is someone who's incredibly evil yeah and, and i think what that kind of makes it kind of more interesting for us is that at its heart um you know the film is really exploring these dysfunctional sisters uh and mm. they have this emotional baggage in their past that have that has seeped into their present um, and we can see how Miriam is justifying her actions and how she's convinced herself that she's actually her sister's savior, her sister's white knight. And, and really, you know, she's really just doing this all for herself. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a very similar kind of arc to the Walter White character in, in Breaking Bad, where he, he says he's doing it for his family, but he, he discovers he's really doing it for himself. So it's that kind of uh, exploration of selfishness and, and familial dynamics that are really interesting to us. 
I think you both uh, should have maybe written a, a, a book about this as well, and maybe maybe that's going to come afterwards. Is that a, is that a possibility? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Teacher course, like seriously, this could be used in a. I could see this being used in a course on gender and violence or gender and sexuality. It's it's fascinating. I think you know, Madeline, you you commenting on on the relationship between their sisters and you you as well there, Dusty. But when you know they're in the water. And she's kind of coming clean mm-hmm. uh, to Greta, and, and the immediate is, "What did you do?" Yeah. And 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 then even you know with with um, yeah, the the implication being that it's you know it, it's her fault, right? That could be sort of the campaign, right? Oh, it's what it's her fault, right? Because that's it seems like as a culture, don't we sort of bend towards that to some degree? Isn't that what? this film is is and stories like this are trying to uh correct or or you know from a revenge perspective set the record straight if i can use you know oh, yeah. use that phrase yeah even if you look at something like the way that society views affairs um, mm, yes the woman is very often the person who's blamed um the other woman and it's Right. Um, you led, you led me along, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you sent the wrong messages or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like this femme fatale and, and a lot of blame is, is thrown at the woman's feet. But I think what we were really kind of exploring in that scene um, and just in, in the whole relationship between these sisters is their past has informed the way they see each other. Mm. Um, and these, they see each other totally differently. So Miriam sees Greta as this helpless person who she needs to look after and Greta sees Miriam as this um, selfish person who is constantly um, getting in the way um, and con- and just kind of looking out for herself. Um, and this so often happens within families where you have these ideas of, of someone, you have this idea of who your sibling is and you can't shake it, you can't see beyond that and you get locked into it. And I think that can be really dangerous and damaging. Can, you know, you had a little bit of a shout out there to free will and determinism. And I loved, I love that little fire. I think it was a fireside conversation. And again, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm marveling at the, the, the layers and the depth and the, the, the philosophical musings in a film like this. It's just, it's so wonderful. You guys, maybe you guys are winning me over to horror. I don't know. Is that, is that what's happening here? And I, and just so you know, I wouldn't actually call this a horror film. That's, but that's, I think I, that sort of came out early on. Yeah. No, but, yeah. That. It's yeah, can you talk about that, Dusty? That 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 little metaphysical sort of shout out there. Yeah, I think you know, Madeline and I love to talk about philosophy. It's it's a big part of how we live our lives. But I and I think we are of well. Have I convinced you? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what what's he convinced you of? Yeah, but there's no that free will doesn't exist it's, in the way. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, it's it, it's just an interesting idea that that we're fascinated by. And then when we talk about like, this is a real, it's, it's a fable about morality. It becomes really interesting to, um, you know, what, what role does determinism play um, in, in our, in our choices. And, also, and then thinking about that kind of extended into the editing, the film of the film as well. And this idea that the past and the present are mm. informing each other. Yeah. There, there's a, there's definitely an elliptical, um, quality to the film where you you see uh the past speaking to the present but uh but to, on your point yeah i mean it, it's on one it straddles both the genre or a genre of uh film like like horror but also yeah i think at its heart it's it's a, it's a drama 
Yeah, I don't think we have. We never set out to make a horror film. Yeah, um, right, and right. And it's just kind of the way that everyone likes to label stuff. It's it's it, it's true, that. isn't it? I mean, I know, I know. For me, uh, I think I think this might be my first. I've been working at TIFF for a few years uh, uh, with Face to Face, and I think this is my first Midnight Madness film. I th- I think, but uh, oh, <laughs> breaking <laughs> breaking ground everywhere. And I think also Peter Kaplowski, um, who programs Midnight Madness, is really interested in kind of programming different types. Of, mm. um, yeah, breaking the mold of what we expect in that genre, mm-hmm. especially an oversaturated genre right now where you, you just see so many of the same things within it. Um, but but yeah. I'd say like uh, films like Don't Look Now and, and like Caché, films that are kind of horror but kind of not have always been films that we've yeah, gravitated or, or, towards or green room which you mm-hmm. know is definitely a horror movie it's like a monster in a house movie but with neo-nazis <laughs> it's like but it you know it's taking that genre and exploring something within it that's that's kind of exciting so i'm i'm fascinated by the the i guess you could say the scene that 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 sets uh, uh to say that it sets Miriam off is, is, is not what I mean, but, but sets a series of actions in motion. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> trying not to tip, you know, <laughs> the story too much, but you shoot it and, 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 and it's shot. And I'm sure this has a lot to do with your DOP and so on, but the tight close-ups, the, the music, the, 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 the colors, etc. It, and I hope this is what you were going for, because boy, did it work for me, but it made it so much more harrowing and unsettling. And, uh, and yet at the same time, I mean, there was just, there was no, there wasn't an exploitative uh, um, edge to it at all, if, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, yeah, it was just a really wise way to approach it if if that if 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 that means anything to you no thank you that yeah. means a lot i um we filmed that over three several days at least yeah. mm. uh at dusk at dusk yeah uh, and we were filming dusk as if it were dawn um and it well and not an easy scene to shoot i mean come no, on no, right? no. so challenging but for we, so many reasons we we had several ideas of how we wanted to tackle that and i think it, it kind of we immediately knew as we were filming of as we start, you know, classically when you shoot, you start with wides. And so we were starting with our wides and we kind of knew instantly, okay, this is definitely not the language of this Hmm. particular scene. Hmm. And the, really what we were trying to evoke was that this feeling of, um, you know, being trapped and uh, And frozen, frozen. Yeah. And it, Mm. uh, which you don't really see in these, these, uh, scenes that portray what happens to Miriam, which is a sense of uh, an out-of-body experience where uh, she is in shock and, uh, you know, there's a sense of shame that, that she feels mm. not being able to undo uh, what's, what's already happened to her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's something just, um, you know, being able to see the kind of texture of, of someone's skin and seeing all the imperfections on, on, on someone's nail uh, just kind of amplifies the kind of horror of, of what's happening in a way that's uh, not, it's not direct. It's this indirect horror that you're watching. Well, if you, you humanized it in all the right ways. That's great. Yeah. It's uh, it was a very difficult scene to shoot coming from an acting perspective. I think mm, I bet. But thinking about every scene there were some really really physically demanding scenes like the like the vomit and the 
um, actually the swimming in the lake was absolutely harrowing because it was freezing. Um, <laughs> and we filmed it for 18 hours. We did. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Stuff. But, you know, I think that scene was the toughest scene for me as an hmm. actor to shoot because just emotionally it was really, um, yeah, it was really, really emotionally harrowing. And in- You know, I'd love to know, did, did you guys debrief at the the end of some of those days? I mean, I've, you hear stories about people staying in character and actors, you know, not coming out and, 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 and having an impact and all of that. Um, yeah, what do you do? Do you go, do you do a round of tequila shots before you go go home or you head to the hotel? What, how, well, how, how do you, how do you work through that? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, we were uh, also pro- the only producers on the film. So we were really mm. double duty all the time. Uh, and so we were, kind of working around the clock but i will say there was probably one or two moments where i realized oh i have to i have to check in with madeline and and i have i part of my responsibility as a director here is to offer more emotional support uh when we're not filming uh you know being able to to to, to talk through what she's feeling and thinking because you know the the best kind of acting is 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 seamless because the actor is actually feeling those emotions and she's going through such a gamut of, of incredible extreme emotions that it was really important I think to to always check in to make sure that she was doing okay yeah there were times where I went to kind of I pushed myself into emotional corners that were extremely painful and uh Dusty really kind of helped me through that and all it takes is just kind of uh, a check-in and how are you feeling about that and right. we'll chat afterwards and and it's fine but it does require that like it's yeah, yeah. and we had a wonderful a tiny little crew that was so patient and supportive and so they they created that space for us on set because sometimes uh between you know these intense moments we you need complete silence and uh you need moments to recalibrate and to reset emotionally mm. and uh you know they everyone was just so patient and and understanding of that of, of Madeline's process and i think that really gave us a lot of freedom to work with yeah we were also living um in a cottage with the dp adam and with our line producer and our first ad and that felt like a really close knit family i always felt like when we came home um, at the end of a shoot day, they were there for, we were all there for each other. Yeah, we were always, we were, every yeah. night was a decompression and as, as a little little family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a little family, because this is a family film. Yeah. It, it is. <laughs> and, it, and honestly, I say that, obviously, you can hear the smile on my face, but but it, 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 it kind of is, mm-hmm. right? It kind of is. You know, um, are there, do you think there are, and, and I, and I, hmm. Do you think there are some things we can only learn if we feel them? I I don't know if I've felt a film quite like this in in, in such a long time without it being sort of you know forced on me by the sound design or 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 by potentially manipulative music maybe or, or okay maybe I'm going to an extreme here but wow the yeah so anyway it just made me wonder about that that empathy right yeah. for others. Right? I mean, how how do you get there? And maybe it's maybe sometimes it is through this kind of an emotional um, extreme. Um, yeah, I think that's a really really interesting question. And I think it for for me, I think speaking as a female filmmaker, watching growing up um, on male content, um, right? I I have an incredible uh, understanding of 
the male experience and what men go through. And I think I very, very deeply empathize with a lot of male characters. And I think what it takes is exposure. I think um, that there is, everyone has the capacity to empathize with other people and with all kinds of experiences. But I think if you're not exposed to it and you're not aware of it, um, it's more difficult. So the, the more that we can kind of make people uh, aware of of these types of experiences of trauma, for example, the more empathy there's going to be. Um, I, you guys are not going to believe me, but there is, and it's and no one's going to be able to hear it, but you'll have to take my word for this. There is an ice cream truck that's going down the street <laughs> and I can hear, that's I can hear the music, cool. you know, the music. Yes. And, will forever haunt. and everyone who's going to see this film now because of this interview is going to smile. Uh, I hope uh, a, a little later on. Is there a potential? Uh, uh, and I, I really ask this respectfully. Is there a potential for a part two to this? Because it seems to me like there's so many places this could go. So many sort of unanswered uh, questions. And 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 you mentioned Dusty. I think earlier you left a lot out. Uh, would you ever? I mean, I know there's certain themes that filmmakers pursue, et cetera, and you see them in their work and so on. But love to hear some thoughts on that. We we are so excited to to move forward with with something completely new. I think we mm. we've been making short films for 13 years, and then together right. collaborators for we, five years for five years, and our, our shorts explore very similar themes of trauma right. and. Um, you know, dynamics between men and women. And it kind of all culminated in, in the making of Violation. And, um, and I feel like in, in, a, in a really great way, it's, it's a nice chapter, I think, in our life where we've been able to talk about a really difficult subject that, that's really personal to us. But I feel like we've said all we have to say, <laughs> at least for now. I think if there was at least for now. I think if there was a character that we would, we would take into a part two, it would be Caleb. Yeah, Obi. Mm. And yeah. who who uh, is was so amazing to work with so much so like you know he came in from from New York and he was only on set for for you know a week of rehearsal and like five days of shooting but we kind of fell in love with him as an actor yeah. and uh, hmm. are now nice. like, just writing something just just for him but but yeah you know there's definitely um, a lot. That so many places you could you could take this oh 100 percent. well and there's this deep and i think this is a wonderful uh uh comment about the writing and the direction and the, and the performances and all of it all of the above because there's just this deep sense of mystery to, to everything around the film the look the feel the style the people the actors in there and their stories like what 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 was going on in Miriam's life before this? You know, I, I, I need to know. <laughs> I th and I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful thing uh, for you guys to have been able to, 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 to pull that out. You know, I think that's really, really quite brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Um, there's this character in, um, if I don't know if you've seen Melancholia by Lars von Trier. I have actually, absolutely. And I saw, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One but of my love, favorite uh, von Trier films actually. Um, I love all the characters in that film, but there's the the one character plays played by Alexander uh, Skarsgård, Skarsgård, yeah, um, who is so perfect, and he's the when I finished the movie, he was the character where I thought, I wonder what happened to him, um, mm. like what what is that guy's story? Where is he? Uh, where was he afterwards? Where did he go? And and what was his his journey? And um, that's how I kind of. Caleb was sort of our our version of that that character. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think all of we tr- we spent so much time um, with the actors, really creating these characters and living as them. Um, so we we had a couple of weeks of rehearsal before we shot, where we lived in the in the cottage with the cast and we just um spent time improvising in character and creating uh these memories from their history so we'd talk about what are the pivotal moments in these characters lives that that um would be important memories for them to have and then we would create a time and a place to relive those to create those memories to live them um so that they really it really felt like the characters were fully embodied so, so I, I hate the fact that this is the last question and, and, uh, well, it doesn't have to be, but it's one, okay, but we're, we're, we got to wrap up soon at some point, right? I, what I love about what I do on face to face is I, I mean, I could, I could usually not always, but usually just go for a couple hours, but I think we'd lose most of our, most <laughs> of our listeners, uh, just a little atheistic shout out. I listened to a two and a half hour, uh, interview with Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett in a bar once, probably the worst sound design imagined of ever of all time yeah. um, glasses and spoons and things in the background but i but i but i did it so it <laughs> anyway um uh the 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 therapeutic value of a film like this i don't think can be underestimated i'd love to know what did you guys take away from this whole experience you've said a couple times how you're moving on glad to be out of this sort of world were you on the metaphorical couch a little bit while you were making this film and are, are you better people for it? <laughs> it's yeah, a pretty no, big question. That's, that's a pretty big question. That is a yeah deep question. Uh, and we're huge fans of Sam Harris. Uh, <laughs> so that's great. Um, I think for, for us, the, the, the writing, the directing and the making of this film was very therapeutic and cathartic mm. for us as filmmakers. It just helped us work through our own, histories and our yeah. past and um it, it's rewarding i think to to be on the other end of it like this yeah i think it was purging even just in kind of like how um exhausting it was as a process right. um when you throw something yourself that deeply into something uh you're kind of exercising your demons and and it's like it's like going for a really long run or running a marathon or something where you just feel depleted, but exorcised. And, um, yeah, I think instinctually, uh, we try to avoid feeling negative feelings. Hmm. Uh, and so it's very common that we'll suppress these kind of dark, horrible things that have happened to us. Um, because it's just too painful to kind of relive it, talk about it, um, you know, think about it. Um, and what the film did to us as filmmakers making it, and I think what it does to the audience is it kind of forces you to go through this painful journey of exercising those those emotions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredibly healthy to do. I think that's really one thing I've just learned over the years is that it's it's good to feel everything. You know, if you're feeling depressed or sad or, you know, that's, it's good. You You can only avoid it it for so long before it catches up with you or you're just avoiding for your whole life. 
but this amazing thing happens when you actually feel what you're actually feeling. If, if you mm, deny it, it's good. It actually, the half-life of it, it goes away yeah. much quicker. You know, it's so, so interesting. What a beautiful place to stop, you know, you got, or to end the interview. I think you guys have talked about, you know, just dealing with the past and, and, and history, your own histories and so on and the help, the personal story. And I just interviewed earlier, uh, this week, uh, Diego Hadidi, who, who did the, um, the film at TIFF this year, Downstream to Kinshasa. And he, he talked about, you know, um, a place for memory. Mm-hmm. And, and right, and if and if you can sweep it under the carpet, you can push it away. You can forget it. And some people, I suppose, heal that way. But I question the 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 hmm, the deeper sense of healing. I suppose if if you just avoid it, but yeah. stepping into it, you know, is just it seems to be so much more rooted in uh, something that's holistic and healthy and, and and relationally sort of based. And we're back, and we're kind of back to family again, right? Yeah. And, is right. Well, I think that the, you, what you just said reminded me of something that someone said to me once is, um, they said the, the, you know, the, the thing that everyone says, time heals all wounds. Right. I don't think that's true. I mm. think that some, it takes more than just kind of forgetting about it or just letting time pass. I think there needs to be a, a purging. Sometimes there needs to be a con- confrontation. Yeah. And a, th- um, a thoughtful meditation, uh, where you can, process what what has happened in it right. in a way that's contemplative and i think really that's what the film is it's it's forcing you to contemplate things that you otherwise wouldn't want to and uh the more we can do that i think the, the better we will be and you are both you are both philosophers <laughs> first it seems to me <laughs> and maybe maybe i hope i hope that's a good thing what what a pleasure chatting with you two today. Uh, we've been talking to Madeline Sims Fuhrer and Dusty Mancinelli about their their new film, uh, Violation. Thank, thanks to you both. Really really appreciate it and, and uh, had, had a great time. And oh, and if you're listening, please uh, like us on on uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening. We'd certainly appreciate it. But uh, thanks thanks to you both for joining me today on Face to Face. Thanks. So Thank much. you so much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.